0: Why you shouldn't claim Social Security early. Or should you? How not filing a tax return could land you in jail. And what would you do if you found $500 in an ATM? This is Your Money, Your Wealth. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe and Big Al discuss the pros and cons of taking Social Security before full retirement age. Tax mistakes that could cost you huge penalties or worse. IRA myths, the morality of found money, and what they know and love about social media. The fellas also answer emails from the absurd to the sublime, from making 40% annual returns on your investments to sound strategies for putting inherited IRA money into a Roth. Now, here are CFP Joe Anderson2323 on Instagram and CPA Alan.clopine on Facebook.
1: Alan, I have this ongoing question that I'd like to get your input. Okay. We did our, you know, Social Security webinar right, last week, huh? Yeah. And A lot you, of people came to that. Yeah, 500. Yeah, yeah, So here was the, the ugh, break it down. Couple of key questions that were asked. Okay. Should I take it at 62? Because I'm retired. I it's it's hard for me not to take this money. I know. It's like it's right there. It's right there. Like, why shouldn't I take it? God, I just. <laughs> so it's like all right. Well, let's just go through the math here. Sure. So if you take it at 62 and let's just assume that your full retirement age is 66 just to keep things simple. Okay. If you take it at 62, you would receive a 25% permanent haircut on the money. So that means if you would have got 2000 per month at 66, you get
2: $1500 at 62. 1500 bucks. So $500 less.
1: But uh, but it's 4 years earlier. Right. So you get all that money, I mean every single month, right? And if you take it at 70, Well, then, I mean, from 62 to 70, it's like a 73% increase on your benefit. Right. Right? Yeah. Because you get this delayed retirement credit, they call it. It's 8% per year after you turn full retirement age. Right. And so it's like, well, Joe, I'm retired. I'm turning 62. I want to take the money. Right. Even though I understand that I'm going to receive a 25% permanent haircut, but it's right there. Yeah. I can invest it. Because it's like the, a bird in the hand. It's a sure thing, right? And that's why. I mean, well, you you see the numbers, Alan. Oh, yeah. What, 65%, 70%? Most,
2: uh, yeah. In, in fact, when you look at the numbers of the people that actually take it later than full retirement age, which this year is 66 years and two months, it's it's like 2%, 2 or 3%, right. if that. <laughs> so it's like, all right, I'm either taking it at 62 full retirement age. There's no way I'm going to wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go past that. And and some people do wait till their full retirement age because if they take it earlier and they're still working, they have to give some of the benefits
1: back. Yeah, but they don't actually give it back. It's just recalculated and how it works. Yeah, it's
2: true. It's it's worth explaining cuz people don't really understand that.
1: So, there's an earnings cap. So, if you do take it at 62, there's an earnings cap on it in 2017. I'm going to round here just to make my math easy and you got a pen right there don't you al yeah it's 16,900 and something uh, 920 yeah 16,920 yeah, pretty good rounding so let's just call it 16,000 bucks okay all right so let's say you take it at age 62 and you go to work and you make $40,000 a year okay okay so then you take $40,000 and you minus sixteen thousand nine twenty, but let's just do sixteen thousand. Okay, so that leaves twenty four thousand. All right, twenty four thousand dollars, and then you divide that by two is twelve. So then that's your reduction of benefit. So they take twelve back. They take one dollar for every two. You, well, you, then you give twelve back and you get to keep three. Yeah, you get to keep three, and so if I do that math right, so um, fifteen hundred dollars a month is your benefit. Um, So, if they take, if you get three, so they're going to take 10 months of benefit back from you. So, let's say you do that the next year. So, the same thing is going to happen. They're going to take 10 months of benefit. So, that's 20 months of benefit. So, they calculate Social Security benefits on a monthly basis. Right. So, they'll just assume that you didn't take it at 62, that you took it at 63 and what, eight, nine, 10 months or, right. right so
2: in, in other words by the time you get to full retirement age they're going to they they're not going to ding you for the money you had to give back so in other words your benefit will be higher
1: they'll just increase your right, benefit in like future. you never took it and
2: i think that's worth cuz cuz a lot of people just assume that boy once i give it back I, it's lost forever but it, at least the it, social
1: security administration is a little bit fairer than that so it's like but let's say if they made $60,000 Well, that would probably wipe out their entire Social Security benefit. you you, you
2: give it all back, and it's as if you never claimed it.
1: It's like you never claimed it. For purposes
2: of future benefit. You
1: got it. Got it. So even though I did claim it at 62, I'm getting that 25% permanent haircut. But if I'm still working... Right? It's like, okay, well, no, you you gotta give it back. Right. And so you have to tell the Social Security Administration as well that you are working, that you plan on working. Because here's what happens if you don't. So let's say you get that fifteen hundred dollars a month benefit, right? And so you enjoy that benefit. You're not and then the next year happens, you file your tax return. The Social Security Administration looks at the income. And people are saying, well, why do they do that? Well, because they have to look at your income to determine what your benefit is, because it's all based on how much money that you make and how much money that you put into the system. So then they'll look and say, Clopine, what are you doing? You made forty grand. You claimed it at sixty-two. dollars sh- We should have only gave you $3,000. Right. So they'll withhold your Social Security benefit the next year until they make it up. Until it catches up. Until it catches Got up. Got it.
2: I see. Okay. Well, I suppose that's fair. Sure. Yeah. But I, it, it, it confuses people. It does confuse people. And, of course, they always know because Social Security Administration talks to the IRS and vice versa. So they know exactly what you're making as far as earned income goes. So they can, they can do the calculations after the fact, and then they'll just ding you against your future benefits.
1: Sure. They'll just, you know, they'll just withhold it. Yeah, right. <laughs> like to, like you, a big fat tax. Until you're caught up, just like you said. So um, so I guess back to the argument of, do you take it at 62? Well, if you're still working, you have to do this calculation right, right, to see if it makes sense. Because some people want to claim it at 62, because maybe you have an older spouse that wants to claim the spousal benefit well you cannot claim a spousal benefit unless your spouse is collecting a benefit right so one spouse is older and that older spouse has a lower benefit that it, the higher benefit would be the spousal and again the spousal benefit is based on 50% of full retirement age so if the other spouse claimed early it's still based on that 50% um, range as long as the, the the spouse is full retirement age. Right. How confusing is this crap? That's crazy. I get, I have to diagram it out myself. It's so complicated, In, to say the least. But now, do I take it at sixty two? Well, if I'm not working, then it's like, well, it's right there. Right. Take it and invest it. All right. Well, that might work, depending on what you're going to use as assumptions. Right. That's the big thing, because whatever assumption that you use is going to determine if it's going to make sense for you or not. Right. If you don't need the money, if you want to take it and invest it, well, if you think you can get, I don't know, a 10% rate of return. Well yes, that will pencil out. Yes it will. Right. Agreed. And if you if you die prematurely, you know, prior to life expectancy at age 85, yes, those numbers will pencil out all day long. So, I guess it you have to do a little bit of calculation, but I truly understand that it's like man, it's right there. I don't know what's going to happen. Yes. We got a lot of baby boomers that are, you know, collecting 65 million people are already taking benefits. You got 10,000, right? A day turning 65 for the next several years, 15, 14 years something like that. Right. So I, of, I get the urge. I yeah. get the urge to take it. Um, but I would encourage you to not necessarily look at it as an investment. And again, this is your money. We're just kinda you know, just a couple of kids having a conversation <laughs> about some really boring stuff. True. But I, I'm kinda more in favor now of not necessarily saying, No, wait, run some numbers and if you feel better, if it makes you happy, <laughs> a life is short. Wow, we're we're coming full circle. Take social security
2: early and pay up your mortgage. What the hell? <laughs> If it makes you happy, go for it.
1: No, I mean,
2: if it makes you sleep better at night, I think that's <laughs> as, what you do. Because you know you got the money coming in. The flip side of that, of course, is if you're just going to spend the money anyway and not save it, and you got other resources, why not wait? If and and then you've got great longevity insurance, right? But you take it at seventy, you've got a lot more income for life. Now there is a possibility, Joe, that there could be means testing right. down the road, and and if you have a lot of assets and a lot of income. Well, maybe this makes a lot of sense. Take it now while you can. Sure. On the other hand, means testing has been proposed for decades, and it hasn't happened. So, it maybe it won't happen. So, it's it's awful hard to say.
1: Then, um, yeah, because there's so many different factors involved, you can't necessarily look at this in a bubble of saying, "All right, well, I'm 62. Here's my benefit. Let me take it." you have to look at what other assets do you have what other type of fixed income sources are you married are you single what is your tax bracket you know, because the, the taxation of Social Security needs to come into play. Right. Uh, because if you live That's in the too state too. of California, right, the, the state of California doesn't recognize it as income, so it's tax-free to you from the state of California. Yep. Plus, at the most, you're going to get a 15% tax-free bump on the Fed side.
2: Because right. At wor- worst case. At in worst some case. cases, less of it than that is taxable.
1: The numbers for provisional income. Right. So to, to determine how much of your social security benefit is going to be taxed was based on law from the 80s, 1983, Ronald Reagan. And so back then, right. So everyone was up in arms of saying, oh my gosh, you're going to tax social security because that was the first time social security ever became taxable was back um, in the early 80s. And so if you look at those numbers of provisional income, it was only going to affect. The, like the top one percenters, you know, so th- those nasty one percenters, yeah, right? Terrible people. Those terrible people, right? <laughs> look, then everyone was like, "Yeah, no big deal," right? They could pay it, but now if you look at them, they never inflated those numbers with inflation, and they don't have any plans to. So most people that listen to this program will pay taxes on their social security benefit. Yes. So when you hear other things of, well, it's only going to affect this. Um, like the AMT tax, for instance. I right, mean, we could go on and on. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs>
0: Social Security is likely to be an important part of your retirement, and as you just heard, it gets complicated. Watch our free Social Security webinar in the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to learn how to maximize your Social Security benefits under the new rules. Joe will teach you about claiming strategies, how to calculate your benefits, what benefits are available, and how they're taxed. To view the free Social Security webinar, visit the webinar section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com.
2: I found this kind of interesting, Joe. This is a, a recent survey. This is University of Maryland's program for public consultants, uh, and what they came up with was they, I guess they they asked 1,800 registered voters on, about their in Maryland about their opinions on income taxes, and to sort of put this in context, as a reminder, uh, in September. Uh, at that point, candidate Trump, who became President Trump, uh, promised to enact changes in the tax code by cutting personal taxes, cutting corporate taxes, cutting taxes on capital gains and dividends, eliminate estate taxes, and he talked about providing tax relief to uh, small businesses, which are sole proprietorships, partnerships, S Corps, and the like. So that's what was proposed. And then they asked 1,800 people, What do you think? <laughs> what do you think of all this? Because Joe, when you and I talk to people, almost everyone uniformly says you gotta reduce taxes. But I found I found this survey interesting. In general, the majority agreed to raise taxes. Of course, caveat for the wealthy, right? <laughs> and capital gains and dividends, as well as higher rates for corporations. And the reason why they did was they were more concerned about having a balanced budget than lower taxes, which I found rather interesting. Fifty-two percent of respondents are willing to raise taxes 10% for those making a million or more. Hmm. Now, that's that's an easy thing to vote for if you're making less than a million, right? Sure,
1: right. I mean, how many people make a million bucks a <laughs> yeah, year? Yeah,
2: not that many. So, capital gains. Um, the GOP plan, not the Trump plan, the GOP plan wanted a maximum rate of 16.5%. Only 15 percent of those surveyed endorsed this idea. 85 percent thought it was a bad idea to reduce those capital gain taxes.
1: Huh. And well, we, I guess most individuals, as well, have most of their assets in retirement accounts, right? Li- li- liquid assets. They yes. either have real estate, um, you know, their primary residence, maybe a second home, and then they have a giant retirement account,
2: right? Now, in terms of corporate rates, um, right now the highest corporate rate is thirty-five percent. But that's not the. If you take the total effective rate of all corporations in the country, Joe, it's nineteen point two percent. In other words, that's the that's the average tax rate that C corporations are paying tax on. C corporations. Mm-hmm. Yep. C corporations.
1: Well. Oh. Because the, if that's the average of all businesses,
2: yeah, of all C corps, yeah, oh,
1: I would say eighty percent of businesses are small businesses. That's true. That's true. And maybe thirty percent of those are not profitable. You, it, well, that's, <laughs> they're not making any money. That's true too. That's, yeah, that's, that's true so too. you take a look at the majority of that. I mean, they're not talking about Google. No, they're <laughs> definitely not talking about Google. <laughs> or Microsoft but,
2: or GM. Uh, so anyway, fifty-three percent of the survey respondents wanted to raise the effective rate to over twenty percent.
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, that makes sense when you look at it like that. You can't. Yeah, it's like that's so misleading. It can't be. <laughs> It can be. What are you talking about? It is totally misleading. Anyway, you know why I found
2: this interesting, though, Joe, is because, like I said, when you and I talk to almost anybody, they all want lower taxes. But when you think of it in the context of... Do we, do we want to balance our budget? Do we want to stop creating all this debt that is only going to compound our problem for future generations? I think a lot of people are pretty sensible about that, which, which I personally applaud. I think we've got to get our, our budget balanced before we can do much of anything, because we're really basically saddling our financial woes on future generations. So that's my two cents.
1: Wow. <laughs> Big Al, <laughs> getting running for office here soon. Not really. Well, not, I mean, I, really. I yes, I I, I agree. I, I would like um, a society where <laughs> there's we actually have law enforcement and yes. not anarchy right. and everything else and nice roads and good schools right. and um, yeah. I, and and what's
2: what's always interesting to me is is. The campaign promises, which you know, I mean, you just think about it in your head, and you know that, that no one can deliver on what they promise. I mean, they they promise lowering taxes. They promise, in, in the case of Trump and and many, you know, let's 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 increase the military, let's increase the infrastructure, uh, but let's lower taxes and let's balance the budget. And, and I mean, it's not you, an easy you, gig. You don't have to be an accountant to figure out that doesn't quite add not up, enough. right? No. I I like the thinking. Don't get me wrong. I like the thinking. I like the idea. I think we should work towards that. But there has to be some compromises here.
1: Well, I don't know. The market right now is fairly, um, well, I guess good is uh, uh, irrelevant now. It depends (laughs) on who you talk to. True. (laughs) So, all right. That was Political Talk with Big Al. Time now for Big Al's List.
0: Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format. This week, 10 tax mistakes to avoid.
2: A lot of people make mistakes, particularly when they try to prepare the returns on their own, particularly when they do them by hand. Yes. And we've seen that Math over and, and, and over again. And and I guess if you do your return by hand, I'm not saying not to do it. Although I'd say be careful because tax law is pretty complicated. And it it probably it probably behooves you to use a, a computer program like TurboTax or hire a professional. But a lot of people still want to do it by hand. And, and but I
1: think the most people that do it by hand is it's like a 1040 easy. Yeah, it's it's simple. But if you had like eight rentals, yes, and, uh, much harder. S corp. I, I have eleven twenty s done by hand.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I've seen a corporate return done by hand, but I've seen many individual returns done by hand that shouldn't have been because they own rentals and there is passive loss rules, and they completely ignored that, and they ignored alternative minimum tax because they didn't really understand that, and all kinds of other things. But anyway, number one mistake, particularly if you are doing it by hand, is transposing numbers. Right, so you, you you put an amount. You it's uh, you put six thousand nine hundred, and you put nine thousand six hundred, or whatever the transposition is, and and be aware that the IRS knows a lot of the numbers already. So they're kind of just checking what you put down. For example, they know your wages, they know your interest income, your dividend income, they know the proceeds on your capital gains. Now they even know the basis, what you paid for the capital gains. They know what you sold a property for. They they know you have a partnership.
1: They they know what you earn from the partnership. I'm surprised when you look at the numbers of audit. Th- yeah. it's fairly low. It is low. You know, with the I'm guessing um, you're not seeing a guy with a, a uh, you know some glasses, you know, sitting in a, a dark room checking returns and checking you know W two statements. <laughs> no, it's all computer It's computerized, driven. right? And you would think that you think
2: there'd be lots and lots. It would of be, audits. you know, there. Yeah. You know, fifty percent of people would get audited, right? Because there's some kind of mistake somewhere. Somewhere. Right. I mean, right. you
1: just match it, red flag it, send out a, a letter.
2: Right. Right. So. Because I mean, we learned last week that the number of audits, the average audits, is like about one in 120 people get audited, something like that. Which means less than one percent are actually getting audited. And most of the audits these days are done by letter. They're just you get a letter in the mail, hey, we we got this. Right. You said that. You need to pay us this much extra tax unless you disagree. If you disagree, tell us why. Right.
1: And I mean, it's real simple too, because I get a couple of other w twos from um, the schools that I teach at. Yeah. It's not a lot. A couple hundred dollars. right, right. right. And sometimes I forget to give it to um, your tax guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I get a letter, and it's like, hey, you owe us another $16. And I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> you pay it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right? So, I mean, that's why I was thinking. I was like, wow, oh, man, I totally forgot about it. But it was only a few hundred dollars how the computer can catch that. That's why I was thinking, why wouldn't there be more it? Right, right. Anyway. Here's another mistake is not filing. You just don't file it. Just correct. forget it. I
2: don't. I don't agree with taxes. I'm not going to do it. Unconstitutional. That is called tax evasion. <laughs> the IRS doesn't uh, like that. Our government doesn't like that. But in some cases, people don't really have to file because their income is low enough. And right now, surprisingly, if you're single and your income, your total income is less than ten thousand three hundred fifty dollars, you don't have to even file a tax return. All
1: right. How about if all of my income is, let's say, um, Social Security, and I have a house, okay, and I die. And my heirs sell the house. Right, maybe it's a modest house, a couple hundred thousand. Right, right. But then I get the one twenty one exclusion, so there wouldn't be any tax, you know, on that primary residence. Plus, it's a step up in basis anyway. Yep,
2: true, true.
1: Right, so Social Security's not taxed because there's no other income. Yeah, and then my house is sold. Would I, would the successor need to file a tax return?
2: Uh, yes, and, and the reason is because. So when, you're when, saying I should have filed that
1: tax return <laughs> for
2: my grandmother? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, they're coming after you. Oopsies. <laughs> well, um, because. If it, in other words, if you sell an asset and the proceeds are greater than ten thousand three fifty, you have to file a return to show the tax basis, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. You might get a letter on that. <laughs> anyway, that was three if years you, ago, well, well, you got maybe because they they can audit you three years after you file,
1: okay. As long as you file, you file timely, right? Yeah, well, there's no tax anyway, so I'll just give the stuff to oh, you, you. you. You just quit you, 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 <laughs> you bust right, you, out a return. That's right. You didn't file. You didn't file time No, at I didn't. All. Fi- no, I didn't yeah. even
2: file the return. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, here's the number for Mary. Twenty. So what are you saying? I'm I'm I'm, I'm... Uh, I'm going to visit you in jail. And <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, what, what kind of? I'll make, I'll make bake you some bread. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> like pumpkin bread or yeah, uh, what? banana bread. <laughs> Uh, The number for married is 20700 but here's another mistake. is people are under those amounts, and they they worked some part-time jobs, they had withholding. You're not going to get your withholding back unless you file. You don't have to file because your income is low enough, but you should file so you can get a refund on your tax withholding. How about uh, number three, fear of filing. Fear of filing. So uh, some people figure out how much they owe the IRS and decide not to file the return because they don't have the money to pay it. That's not a good idea. No, because it's just going to... Not a good idea. Because, compound the problem. Because here's what happens is if you file and don't pay, well, then you want to get set up on a payment plan, and there's different ways to do that. But uh, if you don't file at all because you think, well, then they'll never know, well, they by the time that they get around to catching you, they actually charge you a, 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 a non-filing penalty of 5% per month in addition to the tax, in addition to late pay payment penalties, in addition to interest oh man that's the last thing you ever want to do plus i'll tell you what not filing is a criminal offense and actually some people go to jail every single year for not filing so don't be one of those people
1: well wow, this is just a really wonderful show <laughs> oh God. i'm trying to keep people just out of look trouble at, look at big al
2: that the, <laughs> the the fourth uh, item is uh, is doing uh, putting your wrong bank information, your, route, your routing numbers wrong, and so the, the refund gets, it, it. who knows where it goes, it doesn't come to your bank account. That apparently happens all the time. People forget to check their bank account number and their routing numbers, and so the IRS can't...
1: All right, so can't. let's say it sends it to a different bank account. Right. So you're waiting for it, don't get it, you call the IRS and they'll say, no, we sent it to this routing number. Yeah. And you're like, oh, no, I'm sorry, I changed banks. Here's the right routing number. Are they <laughs> going to send me more cash, or do I... <laughs> I doubt it. I think
2: you'd have to settle that with the bank, probably. The bank got, got put into the wrong account. I, I, I don't, I'm I not really sure. I don't think that they're in the business of sending out a refund twice. <laughs> uh, number five, Joe, is people put incorrect names. That's ridiculous, right? But. It happens. Like people get married and and they uh, they put their new married name, but Social Security Administration has it down as the old name. The, the return gets kicked out. There's a problem. Or here's here's the example. His friends know him as Machine Gun Kelly, but the IRS knows him as George Barnes. So don't put Machine Gun Kelly. His to... <laughs> so
1: stupid. <laughs> oh, okay.
2: uh, here's the next one. Extension confusion, which. Um, you can extend your tax return. In fact, the tax due date this year, Joe, is April 18th. It's not April 15th, it's April 18th is the last date you can file on time. But you're allowed to extend your return for six months by simply filing an extension. And the IRS gives you six-month extension, no questions asked. But make no mistake, that does not extend your, your period to pay. In other words, you, if you owe or you think you owe, you have to pay that with the extension. If you don't pay it with the extension, then you get charged late, late payment penalty as well as interest penalties. So be aware of
1: that. You know, we had a discussion with a, a hypothetical client that receives a K-1, right, at the end of the year. And so it's like, all right well do I pay quarterlies on this or do I just kind of because you know a lot of small businesses you don't really know what those profits are gonna be right. until you know you, you close the books true. So what's what's your advice there? What happens if you don't pay quarterlies and you have a large K1? I mean what's what's the worst that can happen? Well if you don't pay quarterlies, like let's just say you should have paid, three
2: thousand dollars per quarter. So in the quarters is April fifteenth, June fifteenth, September fifteenth, and January fifteenth. So what they do is Did charge... they
1: change those dates to kind of some weird stuff
2: well recently? He, he, the, no, that's been that way for a while. But but the weird thing is it's not April fifteenth and July fifteenth. It's April fifteenth and June fifteenth, so that the government would get it before June thirtieth, fiscal year in. I think that's why they, that that was a while ago. Okay, California changed their dates. Yeah, that's so, what it is. so that they could get money quicker, and they changed the amounts that have to be paid. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's not an even split of yeah. four. but like, let's say you should have paid three thousand dollars per quarter. So that first payment was April fifteenth, and if you pay it the following April fifteenth with your tax return, you'll get charged three percent interest on that three thousand dollars. You know, for a year, right? So that's what is that 90 bucks interest on that payment the second payment should have been paid june 15th so you get paid you'd get charged 3% for 10 months right so i don't know what that is but that's call it 80 dollars $80, no. something like that and then the next payment you should have paid that september 15th so you get charged whatever 40 50 bucks For that payment and the last payment, you should have paid January 15th. You're three months late, you probably get charged about 20 bucks interest on that. So that's how that works. Now, if you don't pay the payment with your tax return or extension, not only does that 3% continue, but then they charge you a half a percent per month for late payment. Right, which is, equates to 6% interest. So now you're basically past April 15th. You are paying a, a, a 9% interest rate. And if you don't file an extension and don't file, now you're late filing. Now it's the 3% per year and 5% per month, although that does cap at 25%. So you don't want to not file. So what did we learn? <laughs> <laughs> to summarize, <laughs> we learned to um, not uh, transpose numbers. Make sure you file, even if you have fear of filing. Yeah. Get the right, right.
1: A, a, a ton of people have that. I mean, I I, we've had people come into our office with a box, you know, almost in tears of saying, you know, I haven't filed a tax return in four years. Right. You know, oh God, I mean, should I, what, what do I do? You know, say <laughs> should I, should I move to Mexico. God, I don't know. <laughs> should I file all four at once? Are they going to come after? I mean, yeah, it's right. okay.
0: If you need a free financial assessment, if you missed an episode of the podcast, or if you're just dying to see what Joe and Big Al look like, visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com. Access the Learning Center with resources, white papers, and webinars on investing and financial planning. Subscribe to the podcast and see clips of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show, all at YourMoneyYourWealth.com.
1: If uh, you didn't hear last week, Big Al said, we've been on now for
2: Ten Ten years. years. Ten years together. You've been on longer than I have.
1: Well, yeah. I'm I'm the (laughs) the lucky
2: one. I think you preceded me by about... Six months. Yeah, I was going to say three, but uh, maybe it's six. Oh, maybe it's whatever.
1: I was totally (laughs) guessing. I had no idea.
2: Yeah, I was a Wiley veteran. Yeah, I know. By the time I came on, you had to show me the ropes. Yeah. You said out. You got to talk into the microphone. Yeah, that was about it. That's all all I still know. Because the (laughs) the rest of it is just talking. Yes. How hard can that be?
1: Not too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that hard. Um, All right. I got a question for you. Yeah. Let's say you go to the ATM machine. Okay. All right. And you're going to take some cash out. So you're presuming I got money in my bank account? You have a big wallet. We I all know this. Think I got money there. Okay. Yeah, guaranteed. <laughs> okay. And so you go, you're going to put your card in and all of a sudden you look down and there's 500 bucks in okay. the machine. Okay? What do you do? <laughs>
2: well,
1: I suppose um and you're not at a bank branch. You're not you're just just like you're at a seven uh, not a seven, you know, just like outside somewhere, you know, yeah, in a uh, mall. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Like at the airport, like there's there's I use Bank of America, so there's
1: there's tell there's there's ATM B of A ATMs at the airport. You're not at the bank branch anywhere. You want to imagine if you want to imagine yourself at the airport, let's all be it. You're yeah, going to Hawaii because I'm going on a trip. Yes, there you so go. That's what I want just to imagine. Just your little happy place. Yeah. What do you do? Oh, that's
2: a good question because part of me wants to just take it because it's just free money sitting there. Another part of me wants to turn it in, but it'd be easier to turn in if I was at the bank. I'd say you know this this was here.
1: Uh, where would you turn it into well if it were the bank you'd take it to the bank all right so then you go to the bank let's say you're at the bank yeah. so you're saying you're gonna take it if you're not at the bank you're at the airport you got the 500 if, bucks if I if I, if I if I just got out of church I would
2: probably <laughs> <laughs> go to the bank teller and say this isn't mine it was but any other day probably I might be tempted to keep it
1: right that's so right so let's say you go to the bank and you're like all right well here this fi- this 500 bucks. right would you wait at the t- – won't you just wait at the ATM machine just, to, just in case the person comes back that forgot to grab the cash?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I would – I would. How long
1: would you wait? <laughs> I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is a moral question. Yes, I'm sorry. Because it
1: happened to a friend of mine.
2: I would – I would. I guess I would probably pick it up and hold it in one hand while I did my <laughs> transaction. So I am waiting because I'm doing my transaction. Got it,
1: got it. Yeah, that's a tough one. I don't know. what would What would you guys do out there? Hmm. It's if I was at the bank, right, I would just say, Hey, you know yeah, if, I mean, you're outside. That and, that to me is an
2: easier thing. If you're at the bank, it, it just it's clearly not yours. And sure. that, it just it wouldn't feel right to keep it. But like if it's somewhere else. Like sometimes there's these kiosks in a shopping center, like nowhere near a bank. It's like well, that seems like you found it on the ground.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's, that kind of. You just like brush your arm against it a little bit, have it fall out of know, the container, and then you just do your trick. Oh, look at this! What's the hell on the ground? Yeah. I, I got I you, I mean, Popeye.
2: I mean, if if a, if a hundred dollar bill's on the ground, you wouldn't. I mean, you'd pick it up and keep it, right? I uh, yes, I would. Yeah, I would. But if
1: it's three feet it's, up in the air it's in a sp- container, guess, <laughs> yes. now that's the moral dilemma. <laughs> Uh, right. Yeah. Well, well, it happened to a friend and what she did is that she called the 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 like the bank, right? right? The the ATM because it yeah. wasn't at an actual branch. So she couldn't like walk in and Right. Say, exactly. Hey, this was so here. she's like, "Hey, you know what? It, did anyone you know, call or something. Right. I found this money, right. and then she—they're like, "Well, you could give it to us." And she's like, "Well, what are you going to do with it?" Well, no, we would just hold it just in case if someone claims it.
2: And then it, and she could come in after if no one claimed it. No, no, <laughs> they no. keep it. Yeah, <laughs> the, the banks keeps it. And Got she's
1: it. like, "Well." Oh, that's weird. Yeah, so it's sitting in her that like doesn't, that doesn't underwear drawer. Right. Yeah, <laughs> she's waiting, waiting for someone so, to call. <laughs> I guess, I guess, or something for bad a, happens for she'll the feds just... to show
2: up. <laughs> We're aware that you took five hundred dollars out of an ATM.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think. Yeah, I was. I'm not sure what was five hundred. I think it was maybe a couple hundred bucks, but still, right. Um, yeah, that is Yeah, a she doesn't. She doesn't. She can't spend it. Right. So it just sits in her. Because like, because it's, it's not really hers. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so. I, I, you, you know what? And I'm like, I would never want that to happen to me.
2: I know. Well, maybe if you kept it, maybe you do this. Maybe you keep it for a couple months, and then no one calls, and then you give it to charity. How about that? Then your conscience is good.
1: Yeah. There you go. All right.
0: So what would you do if you found money in an ATM? Get social with Your Money, Your Wealth, and let us know. Follow us on Twitter at ymywshow Show. To connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Google+, just search for Pure Financial Advisors.
1: Hey, you're a big social media guy, aren't you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, you bet. That's it, though. That's it? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, too. You know, I'm not really into any of that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you're more into LinkedIn than I am. But I, I I, do enjoy Facebook, and I'll tell you why. It's because I, I originally got into it to kind of follow my kids, and then I got to where kind of liked it i got to follow some of my friends and what they're doing i'm on
1: um instagram okay i'm not on that well <laughs> joe anderson twenty three, twenty three. yeah yeah you can follow me okay <laughs> all right good i'm like i don't even know i mean uh, so um are you on snapchat uh, no okay no snapchat okay <laughs> no, not, not, no twitter no yes we are on twitter pure financial pure financial yeah we, you're I'm, not personally oh i'm tweeting all the time <laughs> Do <laughs> you tweet at three in the morning? I do. Yeah. I do. Okay. Um, but no, this Instagram, I like it. I, I put some backstage um, pictures of you and I doing the TV show. Okay. And um, all sorts of kind of things that we do, kind of behind the scenes. Ah, okay, good. I'll have to get on Instagram to check it out. Yeah. and Against followers. I'm like, who are they? Who's... I don't even know what following means. (laughs) But I'm going to be an expert here soon, Al. So what is it? Joe? Joe Anderson, 2323. 2323. Okay. Michael Jordan. Okay. Got it. I see. (laughs) That's why the 23, Michael Jordan. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you got? <laughs> I got six myths about IRAs you can't afford to believe. IRAs, there's a lot of funny rules when it comes to individual retirement accounts, so you want to make sure that you understand them. Yeah, um, you're, not, you're not
2: kidding, Joe. And the first myth that is definitely not true is the IRIS. People think that the IRIS does not let you contribute to a 401k and a Roth IRA or a regular IRA in the same year. In other words, those are different. You can contribute to your 401k and your IRA, or your 401k and your Roth IRA in the same year.
1: Absolutely, that's missed all the time. And there's probably the spousal thing on there too. Yeah, that's one. Of them. Yeah, you want to go to that next? Well, no. I mean, it's kind of one of this. Like, let's say if you're if you're married and you have one spouse that's working, maybe one spouse that's not working, um, a stay-at-home parent, maybe already currently retired or whatever. Um, as long as one spouse has earned income, the other spouse can still contribute to an, a retirement account. Right, right. So, um, so, if you have excess cash flow, if you have money sitting in um, you know, a, a brokerage account or savings account or things like that... Uh, it makes a ton of sense for you to max out those Roths.
2: On, yeah, it re- you know, really 50, does. 5500
1: bucks. I would much rather have it in a Roth than sitting in a brokerage but, account. Well, that's
2: that's right, Joe. And, and there are income limitations. If you're married and you make more than 196000 you cannot do a Roth contribution.
1: Uh, but it's one ninety four still for 2016. So True. if you still have not made that Roth IRA contribution or IRA contribution, you have a couple of weeks. Get it done, especially if you don't have a Roth IRA because there's this five-year clock when it comes to Roth IRAs. Right. So if, if how the five-year clock works, and I'll just talk about contributions, not the conversion one, is that if I make a contribution to a Roth IRA, there's a five-year kind of waiting period where I cannot take any of the growth out of that Roth IRA for five years or 59 and a half, whichever is longer. So, Alan, I see a lot of people that are in their 60s that have never established a Roth IRA before. So they contribute to Roth for a couple of years until, right, maybe they retire at 65, so they get five years of contributions, so they're all good. But how about if they want to retire at 62? Well, they can't touch any of the growth of those dollars until age 65 if they started it at age 60. Right. So if I make a contribution before April 15th, my five-year clock would start January 1st of 2016. Correct. So absolutely, I mean, just put a few hundred dollars into it, that opens the five-year clock. Um, Highly encourage you to do that before it's too late. Yeah, and and that's one of the
2: other myths, is that you cannot contribute to the 2016 tax year because it's already passed. Not true. You can contribute all the way to April 15th, and this year it's actually April 18th because that's the tax filing day. So another one is that I make too much money to contribute to an IRA. And there's different limitations here. But anybody can contribute to an IRA that has earned income as long as they're younger than 70 and a half. End of story, period. Right? Now, you may not be able to deduct it. But you can contribute, and in some cases, even if you can't deduct it because you're in a company retirement plan and your income's too high, you may still want to do a non-deductible regular IRA, uh, because then you could do what's called a backdoor Roth. And of course, this is only if your income is in excess of the Roth contribution uh, income limitations, but if it is, you can do a non-deductible IRA and turn right around and convert it to a Roth, and there's no tax to pay on the conversion because you got no tax benefit, putting The money into the IRA. I mean, there's some caveats. You can't have other IRAs, otherwise, this gets more complicated. But you can have 401ks, 403bs to be able to do this. Uh, It's a great strategy.
0: It's time to dip into the email bag with financial questions courtesy of Advisor Insights from Investopedia and you, the Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Joe and Big Al are always willing to answer your money questions. Email info at purefinancial.com, or you can send your questions directly to joe.anderson at purefinancial.com or ellen.clopine at purefinancial.com.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is a doozy here. Oh, really? Okay. This is a doozy. Why do you say that? Is it a long question? Do you have a long thing to read? I do, um, and I see some percentages here that this is going to be interesting. Hmm. And I think this will be a good lesson to all of us to learn. Okay. All right. I need guidance on my investment strategy. Okay. I'm considering two strategies, and I need a professional to guide me through the pros and cons of each of them. Okay. My first strategy is do short-term investments by selling a stock as soon as I have a 3% gain on that stock and then reinvest that money on another stock assuming each stock goes up by 3% within a month. Okay. My return would be roughly 40% per year okay. with the compound effects. Okay. Sure. <laughs> that's pretty easy to do. Yeah, 3% per, per month, that's 36%. Compound interest, 40%. I'll, I'll give you that. All right. I understand that things don't always come out as planned, so my conservative target return is 20%.
2: <laughs> now, let's go back. The, that was the first correct thing I heard in this whole statement. It's things don't always turn out like you predict. Okay, so he's got three so a sentence he, out
1: of six. Expecting
2: 40 I'll, I'll take twenty. He's
1: conservative, hey, twenty. He yeah. wants twenty. Yeah. My second strategy is to do long-term investments by buying stocks that have good dividend history, okay, and hold it for the long term. Okay. I don't expect to use this money in my brokerage account to cover any monthly expenses. So okay. either way will work as long as my money can grow. My investment goal is to maximize the take-home gains after tax. Okay. All so right. what say you?
2: Well, I'm not a fan of either one, but if I had to pick one of the two, I'd pick the second one. Long term stocks with dividend history, but I see major issues with both. So, first of all, the first one short term investments. I own a stock. When it goes up 3% within a month, then I sell it, and then I buy the next one.
1: To get another 3%. So each month he's doing this.
2: Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> I mean,. Who who does that?
1: 40% returns. Who Al? can do that? Come on. I
2: mean probably the seminar gurus tell you you can do it, but in reality that's not that's not practical or possible. Why is that? Because <laughs> It sounds easy enough. Because the stock market that, that presumes the stock market goes up in a straight line at all times. And it doesn't it's very volatile but
1: yeah but when the, those what, stocks go down other stocks go up don't they yep
2: yeah, but so what what if you have so the, what, what if you buy your stock and it didn't make the three percent before the month it goes down eight percent
1: so what, how does he find the information of that particular company before it goes up that three percent yeah what information does he or she have that no one else has right? Because if the company was going to go up by 3% for that month, something has to happen for that to have a 3% jump in a month. Right. Because if it's already expected to happen,
2: well, the price would already reflect that. Yes. Right? So, in other words, based upon all known news, right, then uh, it's already priced in. That's how stocks work, because they're forward-looking in terms
1: of price. Yeah. They're already taking a look at 10 years out. Of what those cash flows, of what those companies mm-hmm. are anticipating to generate, and they take the present value of those future cash flows, and they call it a price. In you know layman's terms, it's right. more complicated than that, but you get what I mean. Now, let's say even that you could do this, and let's say you you made,
2: I don't know, I don't forty percent. That seems very unrealistic. Even twenty. Let's say you made ten, <laughs> just to throw out a number, and they're all short term gains, so they're all ordinary income taxes. If you're in the highest tax bracket, you're paying fifty percent tax between federal and state in California, right? So you're only keeping half of it. And one of the one of the last sentences was I want the, the most after tax. after tax return. Which is why the long term investing is better because it's after tax. But if you're investing just in long term stocks that have high paying dividends, you're, you're, you're very segmented in, in what you're owning, and you're taking a lot more risk than you know. And, and furthermore, in low interest rate environments like we have right now, you and everyone else is looking for high dividend-paying stocks. So, do you think the price of those stocks is actually pretty high because they're in demand? The answer is yes. So, you're buying something high, which may not be the best strategy.
1: But you, you hear stuff all the time. It's like, all right, well, if stocks go up. And you know what? I'm not going to get greedy. I'm only going to take 3% profit per month. Yeah, what's so hard about that? It's, you know, so, <laughs> I mean, that's the lack of information and education when it comes to people investing. Well, and here's the thing
2: about that is, let's just say this individual does that for three or four months. And then, then it's a, it's, a, it's an overconfidence bias. Now they think they've, they've got the secret sauce
1: until things Turn around. More and more people, Alan, because I'm out there just about, you know, two, three nights a week, um, you know, doing education classes uh, to the public, right? And I would say over the last six, eight months, I've never seen so much more overconfidence in the U.S. markets, right? In my almost 20 years of doing financial planning. Yes, and that's because we've had a tremendous bull run
2: and so whatever you invested in the U.S. market did well and so then you start thinking you're a great investor when actually you just kind of rode the tide.
1: And Yeah, and you've got to be careful too because the downsides happen quickly, right? They do. And it's like when we least expect it because if we knew it was coming, we would have gotten out. Right. Right? So it happens when at least... Ex- but to get the money back, it's a it's a harder road up than it is down. True, because if you do the math, if you lose fifty percent of your money, you don't need a fifty percent rate of return to get your money back. You need a hundred percent rate of return to get your money back. Yeah, so if you if you bought a stock for a thousand dollars,
2: it went down fifty percent, so now it's worth five hundred dollars. If it goes up 50%, well, 50% of $500 is 250 So you only got 750 You don't have your 1000 back
1: yet. Right. You need a full 100% rate of return. So the market could drop 50, but for you to get back up, it takes you... Twice as much right. to get it back up. As a percentage. As right. a percentage. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a strategy in your overall portfolio of looking at things to say, hey, I need some downside protection in regards to you know, treasury bonds, government bonds, short-term tips, or whatever, because it's like, well, why do I want to buy something safe? I Look at the markets. The markets are going to continue to roar, and I've already missed out, and I need to catch up. I haven't saved enough. I mean, all of this leads to disaster. Absolute disaster. So, you want to understand the risk that you're taking on the portfolio, making sure that it's appropriate given what your goals are. I mean, if you want a super high octane portfolio, you want the highest expected return possible, right? So, just here's what you do you have one asset class, it's called small value in emerging markets. <laughs> Okay? That's true. That will give you the highest expected return. So if you want really high octane returns over the long term, that asset class will probably outperform any other asset class by a long yeah, shot.
2: Yeah, and that's the key word, is over the long term, because in any one year, it could lose 50% or 70. 80%. Yes. But then it goes up 160%. It's, it's a wild asset class, but it is amazing. When you look at 10 years or 20 years history, it's very often at the highest rate of return of all asset classes. And it's because it is so Volatile and it is so risky. So investors, the only way they invest, they expect a high rate of return, and they generally receive it. Over, you need to over get time. compensated
1: for that right. risk, Alan. That's right. what people don't necessarily get. I think is that all right. Well, if you got a like a small startup company that you've never heard of. Right. But it's not that, it's a little bit larger than like, you know, a mom and pop shop that is traded on an exchange. But still, all these small companies, no one's ever heard of any of these companies, right? Sure. And then you have the big company like Facebook, right? Or ExxonMobil. Right. Right. Okay. Well, if for if, if they had the same expected rate of return, no one would ever invest in these small companies. Yeah, you'd always go with the stronger one. Why right? wouldn't you? The stronger company gives me a better return. Why wouldn't I just put all my money there? Right. Because the small company, I don't know, never heard of them. They don't have a track record. They'll probably blow up next year. Why would I invest? Well, you're going to receive a higher expected return. That's why you invest, because when you invest in smaller companies, you probably have a little bit more ownership in the overall company. Cost of capital equals expected return. Merton Miller, right there, Nobel Prize winning economist. <laughs> well, look at you. Yeah. So, But you have to think there is no free lunch at all. And so you just have to kind of put things in a perspective. If someone could get 3% every single month, God bless you. I'm not saying it's impossible. I think it's highly improbable. Great. And how we want you to look at your investments is to make sure that you have the highest probability of success for your financial goals. Good way to say it. Let's talk about this one. I am a 24-year-old college student working full-time, roughly 24000 in salary, and have a Roth IRA in addition to an inherited IRA. Okay. With the inherited IRA, I have to take a distribution to cover uh, my entire life. True. Okay. In the Roth IRA... I am contributing monthly and have roughly $8,000 in there so far. Well, good for you. My inherited IRA is 18000 Okay. My intent is to take a distribution and put them back into the Roth IRA after paying the taxes. When discussing with my father how much I should withdraw annually, his advice was to take the minimum each year to put out the tax bill. To me, it makes more sense to take as much as I can up to $5,500 contribution limit without going up a tax bracket. This way, I have it all moved out and I can grow it in a Roth IRA before I reach the point where my income has um, increased and I face a higher percentage tax rate. Which one of these strategies would you recommend? Or is there a different strategy to manage the IRA that you would suggest? I'm aggressively investing in both accounts due to my very extended timeline for retirement and have a separate brokerage account that I can withdraw uh, from if I need the money in the short term. Now, this kit is sharp. This is, this
2: is a great question, if I do say so myself. So, 24 years of age, making 24000 a year, first of all... Even if you don't itemize, between standard deduction and exemption, it's about 10000 bucks. So let's just say taxable income is 14000 The 10% bracket goes to, for a single person, about $18,000. So at an absolute minimum, you ought to be pulling $4,000 per year out of this inherited IRA, because that's only 10% federal tax and probably almost nothing if it's California. I don't know if it's California or not. That would be a no-brainer. Uh, you also, gosh, even anything above that is taxed at 15%. That's a super low rate. So you could even withdraw the whole thing and only pay 15% tax, or maybe you straddle a couple years, do nine one year, nine, you know, whatever. But the sooner you get it out... Right then, you then it's going to stop growing in a retirement account. Now you can only put fifty five hundred dollars into Roth per year, but make sure that you maximize that. And man, twenty four years old, already got eight thousand dollars in a Roth, adding fifty five hundred dollars per year. That's that's a, some good stuff because that Roth IRA
1: in retirement will be one hundred percent tax free. So I got two comments, three comments on this. Uh, some of you might be thinking, okay, well if there's an inherited IRA, he's got to take the distribution over his life expectancy on eighteen thousand at 24 years old, that distribution is probably a few hundred bucks. It's not very much. Right? right. So he's got to take the distribution. You cannot convert an inherited IRA to a Roth IRA. Right? So if that distribution, he cannot convert it. No, he can't. However, he's making a contribution, which is a little bit different. The IRS doesn't necessarily track where that money is coming from as long as you have earned income. True. So if he's making $24,000, he has earned income. And maybe that $24,000 that he's earning, he's spending every last dime of it. But he's got this inherited IRA that he's taking distributions. He's taking more. Well, his father said, no, just take the minimum distribution, right? And let that continue to compound tax deferred. Why would you want to pay the taxes before? Again, that's where the father's messed up. And that's where most clients are still screwed up in a sense of like, all right, defer. Defer, 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 right? I don't want to pay the tax now. I want to kick the can down the road. Well, don't do that. In this scenario, as Big Al just said, your tax bracket is almost zero. Take as much money out of there as possible. I like him just taking out 5500 bucks. Then it goes directly into the Roth IRA, right? So it, it takes out of the inherited IRA. Again, you cannot convert a distribution from an inherited IRA. If he did not have earned income, he would not be able to do that strategy. You cannot take the distribution from an inherited IRA and make a contribution to a Roth IRA if you don't have earned income. True. Since he has earned income, he can do this. So he's taking the distribution. I would suggest take the $5,500 out, pay a minimal tax on that. He'd be in the 10% Mostly. on most of it, and another $1,000 in the 15 So your tax bill is a couple thousand dollars. I'm not even that, a couple hundred bucks?
2: Right. So on the other hand, Joe, I'm thinking at, at this. He's already got $8,000 in a Roth at age 24, so he's he's got he's got a source to do that right or maybe it's even from his current income so maybe like let's just say he's already putting 4 grand in so he can only put in another 1500 i would still take out at least 4 grand out of the inherited ira cuz he's in such a low bracket right and then you've got that money that you can then keep contributing to the roth ira as you qualify
1: but here's where i'm coming into real life and you are the cpa number guy okay he pulls out more What's he potentially could do with the money? He could spend it. Yes, but, and I but, don't want him to spend it. I don't think he's
2: going to. He's disciplined. How many 24-year-olds do you know that have $8,000 in a Roth?
1: I don't know. <laughs> None. My future wife. <laughs> uh, but no, because right you're 24th, you know, when I was 24, if I had an extra, right? I, hey, I maxed out my, my Roth IRA- Got a couple thousand dollars, fellas. Key West. Let's do this. (laughs) Yeah, but that's you. He's more disciplined. Yes, he's a lot more disciplined. Or she, or she. So, congratulations. That's the question of the month. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a great question. You know, it's a smart kid. Don't listen to your father on this one. Don't listen to Big Al. Listen (laughs) to me, because all right, just take on enough. Let the rest continue to defer. Just do enough to put your Roth. Get all that $18,000 out, a very low tax bracket. But if you know you're going to get a big, fat raise, then I would listen to Big Al. All right, guys, that's it for us today. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Check us out on iTunes, and we'll be back again next week.
0: So to recap today's show, whether taking Social Security early is a good idea or not depends entirely on your situation. People like the idea of raising taxes on the wealthy. Filing a tax return and paying your taxes on time are always good ideas, there's still time to contribute to your IRA for 2016, and a distance of three feet? Just might make a difference when you find money. How you decide is up to you. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, this show is about you. If there's something you'd like to hear on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth, presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestgut is licensed under a Creative Commons license.